The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. If I should turn to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, and uh, we'd like to look at this account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And the question I'd like you to be thinking on as we try to go through this text is, what are you willing to give up for the kingdom? What are you willing to give up for the kingdom? Especially at a moment's notice, at the drop of a hat, if you will, solely at the command of the Lord. What are you, what are you willing to give up for the kingdom? Solely by the command of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 11 and in verse 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man ask unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met together. And they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus has commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off of the trees and strawed them in the way that they went before, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, now the eventide was come, and he went out unto Bethany, with the twelve. So Jesus is uh, beginning his, what's known as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what's commonly uh, known or called as Palm Sunday. Uh, you see the palms there, not, they're not specifically noted in this gospel, but, but they are in other gospels, the palms that are being laid down. Uh, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, and Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. But this is a very interesting account because they arrive here in preparations for his entry into Jerusalem and they, they enter into the suburb of Bethpage and Bethany. And he tells the apostles, you go into a village and there you're going to find a cult. We find in Matthew's gospel and it's also prophesied back in Zechariah that it was actually an ass and a cult. So it's actually a donkey and the donkey's child, an ass and a cult of an ass. But go your way into the village and you're going to find a donkey there. You're going to find an ass there. And you just take it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I, I just want us to uh, 
to get our head around what's happening right here. He is saying, you show up to this place that I've told you to go to, and there's going to be an ass and a colt for that ass standing right there, and you just walk up there and you just start unloosing it. And then if anyone asks you what, what's happening, which by the way, you would think that's a question the owners of the ass are going to ask, right? <laughs> what was their response supposed to be? The Lord hath need of him. The Lord hath need of him. Now, I hope when you read things in Scripture, you always try to put yourself in the shoes of the people that are living that out. So I just want you to think, you're going about your regular day, right? And you've had your ass and the cold of that ass tied up right there, and you're going to use them later, whether it be uh, using them for transportation to take them, ride them in a journey uh, to the city or someone else where you're using them and doing something on your farm. So primarily transportation and your livelihood. It's not just a frivolous thing that you have uh, that you can do without. A donkey was a very important part of their life. So I want you to just think how you would probably react. Okay? If some stranger that you've never met just shows up and starts taking your personal property. <laughs> I want you to think about that. How would you react if some, some, some stranger you've never seen before just shows up and starts appearing to steal your personal property? And it says there in verse 5, um, they said unto them, what do ye loosing the cult? And I, I don't tend to think that was probably in the kindest tone either. Uh, excuse me, please, sir. <laughs> what are you doing? To, uh, what are you doing, right? What are you, because that's my donkey. <laughs> what are you doing stealing my donkey? And the Lord said, just in case anyone asked, which obviously will, right? What was their response? The response was to simply tell them, just as simply, the Lord hath need of him. And it's very impressive that the Lord had so much confidence in the owners of this ass that he said, he's going to let you take them. You know, that, that reminds me of um, in the Old Testament where Elijah was told during that long drought, that three and a half year drought, and he was uh, provided for by ravens, by the brook Cherith. And then he went to the widow and the widow was going to give Elijah, what would end up being both her son and hers last meal. But what's very impressive to me about that is the Lord's confidence in that widow. Now, she had to walk by faith. She had to make a decision to honor the Lord in obeying his commandment to do that. So, you know, she had a choice to be selfish. But the Lord had so much confidence in her before he even sent Elijah to her, that uh, he said, she will give it to you. She will provide. And I, I, that's, that's very commendable that the Lord had that much confidence in her obedience and that the Lord had this much confidence in the obedience of the owners of this act to give up their personal property Solely by some strangers telling you <laughs> the Lord hath need of him. It doesn't specifically denote that 
uh, this, this phrase here in Mark chapter 11, but it does it in some other places, um, that Jesus said that they have great faith. And I believe we can very easily attribute that uh, to these owners of, of this ass, that they had great faith that they were willing to give up their personal property solely by some strangers telling you the Lord hath need of him. You know, stealing a horse, especially back in the Western days, that was a really big deal. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know how much the movies dramatize it, but there was nothing worse in a John Wayne movie than you being a horse thief. I'll tell you, you're going to get... You're going to get lynched. You're going to get hung. You're going to be dead if they catch you. And they prove that you are a horse thief. There is nothing worse than a horse thief. But yet, these owners immediately probably assumed that this, these guys are stealing my horse. <laughs> you know? They're stealing my donkey. You know, think about, again, in maybe a, a cop movie or a cop TV show or something like that and they're chasing, chasing a criminal and they'll, they'll show their badge and they'll commandeer somebody's vehicle uh, and say, this is official police business and they try to, you know, I don't know if that happens in real life or not. I don't know if I personally would just <laughs> give up my, my vehicle just in hopes that maybe, you know, you may be chasing this guy on an interstate chase for all. How are you going to get my vehicle back to me? I don't know how, how readily I would be to be like, yeah, sure. See your badge. Here, take my vehicle, you know. But anyway, that's how they do it in the movies. But literally, this guy sees these strangers and they simply say, the Lord hath need of him. And he said, all right. All right, go ahead. Take him. Now, I think it's also very commendable that they did not give him any conditions on which they were going to take it. Now, what ends up happening is they take the ass and the colt. Jesus sits on them and goes in, goes in Jerusalem. But then in verse 11, now they come back to Bethany, okay? They come back to Bethany at the end of the day. And I kind of tend to think they returned it. Didn't directly say that. But he used it for a specific purpose. And I don't think that that was now just the apostles and Jesus' personal donkey. <laughs> I mean, I think they borrowed it for the day. Okay, hey, he showed up at Bethany. They borrowed it. He went back to Bethany, and I think they took it right back to to where they took it, to where they they took it from. But when this owner originally allowed Jesus or the apostles to take this, they didn't say, "Okay, I know we're asking you to take your donkey, but it's going to be okay. We're going to return it at six p.m. tonight." You know, it's only a one-day rental. We're only going to be using it for a short period of time. They had no conditions on that. And for all personal opinions of what they had, they probably assumed that I was never going to see that donkey again. Right? They had no promise that it was going to be returned at the end of the day. And, again, this is just so impressive and so commendable that, that they had this kind of faith to give up this ass solely at the word of these strangers that said the Lord hath need of him. But you know what? When he came back, when he came back, that donkey was not broken. That donkey had never been sit on before. But that donkey was domesticated. <laughs> 
That donkey was broken when the Son of God sat on him. So I want you to think about that for a minute. They show up and they say, the Lord had need of him, and they give it to him. They have no conditions on when they're going to get that donkey back. But then they end up getting it back, probably even to their surprise, at the end of the day. And guess what? Now, the donkey I get back is now not only broken, but no doubt it was... I've never been involved in breaking, breaking animals, but I bet it is a little bit of a process. You know, I wouldn't tend to think they are like 100% broken after that one ride. They probably had, still have a little bit of rebellion in them, even after you go through the main, again, I don't have much interaction on this other than movies, you know, but they, they, they ride them one time and then they try to buck them off, buck them off, and then once they don't buck, buck them off, they're, quote, broken. Well, uh, I still tend to think there's some horses that probably uh, rebel a little bit, even after that first ride, that's what I'm saying. But then, they didn't have to go through the trouble now of breaking this donkey. So what do you think about that? They gave it up in faith, not knowing when or if it would ever come back. And what they received back in return was better than what they gave up. You see that? They gave up a donkey that turned out to only be for a day. They, may, they fig- probably figured it was gone for forever. But they give up a donkey for a day that wasn't broken. And how do they get it back? They get it back. By now, it was probably the very best donkey in all of Judea, right? Don't you know, <laughs> Don't you know that was the very best donkey in all of Judea? But furthermore, how amazing for them to think about the fact that we were the people that God chose and had confidence in to choose, that we were going to be the people to lend him the ass that had been prophesied hundreds of years before in Zechariah. You see, these people aren't uh, specifically named. We have no idea the names of these people, but they are inscribed in the canon of Scripture for all of eternity because of their faithfulness to give up what they had in service to God at the, at the drop of a hat, solely at the command of the Lord. And they were an integral part of fulfilling prophecy of the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. See, this was prophesied back in Zechariah chapter 9 and in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation and lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. They were chosen by God. Talk about a difference of perspective. I mean, they showed up and they think people are trying to steal their donkey. But instead, it's the exact opposite. God has chosen you to be the blessed participant in this amazing prophecy of the Messiah coming into uh, coming into Jerusalem the week before he dies on the cross for the sins of his people. And as just an added bonus, what they get back is so much better than even what they gave up. And see, that's the way the Lord operates. That's the way the Lord operates. The Lord always gives you more and better when you give up something in faith in service to Him, especially, especially when you have enough faith to give it up solely at His Word. 
solely at his command. This is a, a note that I jotted down in studying this out and I underlined it in my notes. And I would encourage you to jot this down and, and underline this as well that I've really been trying to think on. Obedience to God is not a negotiation. Obedience to God is not a negotiation because I just don't think in my flesh, I sure would hope I'd be full of the Holy Spirit and say, here, take my donkey, absolutely. But I would have at least got some conditions on this is what you're going to use it for, this is how long you're going to have it. I would have at least got some more information. But faithfulness to God, obedience to God is not a negotiation. Mary told those servants when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, she told those servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there's a period at the end of that statement. <laughs> whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Obedience and discipleship is just that simple. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. This is in Luke chapter 5. I think about the apostles that toiled all night trying to catch fish. They did all of what, all the real tricks of the trade, professional, professional fishermen doing everything that they knew to do. And then Jesus, um, being the, the novice carpenter who is going to tell the professional fishermen how to catch Jesus, we've toiled all night. Lord, I know you're the Son of God, but you don't understand, okay? We've done all, we've made all the right decisions in where to cast this net. We know all the honey spots, and we haven't got anything. You're wrong. He's very gently, Peter is very gently essentially telling Jesus, you're wrong. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll cast it down. See, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. He says, you know what? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Why? Because everything in my natural mind, I've already exhausted that. I've already did everything that I know to do. And there's no way that if I put that net down there that we're going to be able to catch fish. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do it anyway. And we know what happened, don't we? The draught of the fishes were so big that it almost capsized the entire boat. But what did Peter say? Nevertheless, at thy word. You see? Nevertheless, at thy word. Abraham. So it's hard for me to imagine the kind of faith that it takes for the promised son Isaac solely by the word of God, solely by the command of God that he says, I'm willing to go up there and sacrifice my son Isaac on Mount Moriah with the understanding and with the knowledge that not only that God could, but that if he was called upon to follow that all the way, all the way through, not just that God could, but God would and would have to resurrect Isaac from the dead. Because that was the reasoning of faith that Abraham had was because he knew that he had been promised for years that not just that he was going to have a son, but he was going to have a seed 
that was going to be as vast as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea, okay? And you know what? I'm thankful that the first part of that promise occurred. The first part of that promise was that he had a son. But that wasn't the end of the promise. The only way that that promise is going to be fulfilled is if Isaac has a child, if Isaac has a son. So he reasoned by faith that God told me to do this. God told me to sacrifice Isaac. So therefore, he's going to raise him from the dead. Why? Because God's word is at stake. It's his integrity, his unchangeableness, his faithfulness to his covenant is at stake. And if he tells me, I don't understand all the logistics, but if he tells me to sacrifice my son and I do that, then he's just going to raise him up from the dead. He has to. He has to. Why? Because God has promised that, that, had, that he has to have a son, you see. But Abraham was willing to do that solely by the word of God. And that's faith. <laughs> that's faith. I'll tell you, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, if you're walking by sight, it's not really faith anymore, right? If God tells you all the logistics and, and everything that's going to get you from point A to point B... You're not walking by faith. You're just following a map. <laughs> you see, these gentlemen that were willing to give up their donkey for a brief period of time in service to God are such a great example of how we can offer such small things to God in sacrifice and in faithfulness. And he can take those small little sacrifices and he can do some amazing things with our, what we would seem to be small sacrifices. Now think about that, uh, that little bitty boy running around in Jerusalem who was willing to give up his lunch of a couple fishes and a couple of pieces of bread. That, that boy that was willing to give up his lunch for that day. And he, he gave it up to, uh, again, this account is not, <laughs> is not lined out that way, but I think we could almost view it the same way. The apostles came to that boy and they said, look, the Lord hath need of these. The Lord hath need of these loaves and fishes. And what did they do? He said, well, you know what? I, I was getting a little hungry. You know what? I was getting ready to eat those, but you know what? I'm going to give them to you instead. What the Lord do? What the Lord do? He took those loaves and fishes and he fed 5,000 people with it, right? So we can have these little sacrifices and the Lord can take those little bitty loaves and fishes and boy, he can do some mighty things with our little bitty sacrifices. Again, they gave up that, that donkey for what ended up being one day and what came back to them was so much better than what they had before, okay? It says in Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return unto you. And guess what? It's not going to return unto you <laughs> as old, stale bread either. You know, cast your bread on the water. You know, let's just think about this. It's usually not this realistic, but just kind of bear with me. You know, you put your, put your bread on the water and then now God doesn't necessarily answer that prayer for, you know, two weeks or a month or a year. Well, I guess what? The bread that he's going to give back to you is not going to be a month-old stale bread, right? <laughs> so when that bread comes back to you, it's going to be 
better than what you gave up, right? It's going to be better than what you gave up. It's not going to come back as, as old stale bread. It actually says in the prior chapter, in Mark chapter 10, and this is right after, by the way, it's right after the rich young ruler who wasn't willing to give up something for the kingdom. He wasn't willing to give it up. He was covetous and he wasn't willing to give up his riches. And then Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, and in verse 28, Peter says, Lo, we've left all and followed thee. In other words, we've given up something for the kingdom. What are we going to get in return? Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. You see, this is not you giving up something and living godly and God's going to reward you eternal life for that. No, you're going to receive these blessings in this time, right here, right now in the kingdom of God. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the world to come eternal life. Many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. So what you give up for the kingdom, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to give up one piece of bread and you're going to get a hundred bread piece of bread in return. That's, that's not what that means. But you will always get back more than you gave up. That's the point I really want you to understand. You will always get back more and better than what you gave up. And I can only imagine the amazing blessing that these, it doesn't say they're Jewish, but I sure would tend to think that they were, not only living in Bethany, but this is a prophecy, a fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. It sure seems to me that these would be Jewish men that were doing this, that would have known about this. And what an amazing thing for them to think about when they realize, a lot of times we don't realize how God's providence is unfolding in the moment. But then we can look back and see how God's uh, providence was unfolding when we can look back with 2020 hindsight. So I don't think that they really realized what was going, going on in the moment. But when they realized that it was their donkey that had been prophesied hundreds of years before in Zechariah, boy, don't you know that they were happy and blessed to know that they were talking about us. <laughs> they were talking about my donkey when, when that was being prophesied back in Zechariah chapter 9. And, and they didn't know all of that in the moment. That's what I want you to understand. They didn't come up to say, you, I know you've been to synagogue your entire life, and I know you've been reading Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, and I know this is probably going to be very difficult for you to understand, but if you will please just give us your donkey, the Son of God is going to ride into Jerusalem, and it's going to be on your donkey that, that this is going to happen. They didn't explain all of that beforehand, did they? They simply said, the Lord hath need of it. The Lord. And you know what? It's not up to us to ask the Lord for an explanation of all that either. Because you know what? It may not have been to fulfill messianic prophecy. You know, let's put it in a very modern day example. Um, donkeys were used primarily for transportation back then. Um, maybe there's someone that their, their donkey has a broke leg. They don't have transportation from one place to another. Think about someone today that needs medical treatment. Their vehicles broke down. 
Now, let's, let's just be honest. I mean, how many people, if a complete stranger came up to you and said, I would like your keys to your vehicle because the Lord hath need of him. Well, you know what? The Lord is not required to give us an explanation of all that stuff. But you know what? There may be a widow who needs to get to cancer treatments. Then now all of a sudden her vehicle's broke down and she can't do that. See, that's a modern day kind of example of the Lord doesn't, didn't give them the full explanation. I think, I think any Jew, <laughs> if he would have gave them the full explanation that your donkey is going to be the fulfillment of messianic prophecy from Zechariah, I think any Jew would have said, all right, absolutely, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> but the Lord didn't give them that explanation. The Lord hath need of him. And you know what? There could have been a lot of different ways that the Lord needed that donkey to be used to bless his people in that moment. But I mean, I just... Me not being not full enough of the Holy Spirit right now, I don't think that anyone of us uh, would just readily hand our keys to our vehicle to someone solely because some strangers showed up and said, hey, the Lord hath need of him. And I'm not asking you to, by the way. <laughs> but think about that. How willing are you to give up something for the kingdom? The Lord's probably... That's what you have to understand about walking by faith. The Lord is probably not going to give you the full story in the moment. He's not going to give you the full story in the moment. He's just going to say, whatsoever he saith unto you do it. The Lord hath need of him. Okay? You know, we think about Esther. The, love, the great phrase there as Esther was raised up by the providence of God to be in this unique place at this unique time to save the Jews from the wickedness of Haman and her great testimony there. Uh, well, actually, Esther is usually attributed with this, uh, but it's actually Mordecai telling Esther. It's actually Mordecai's words. Who knows? Who knows if you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this? For such a time as this? And we sometimes may, may view our small contributions to the kingdom. Well, I mean, I'm not in the kind of position that Esther is in that God has put me in the kingdom for such a time as this to be a queen, to be able to save an entire lineage of people from annihilation. So therefore, um, that doesn't really apply to me. Well, you're coming to the kingdom for such a time as this could be just as simple as you being that good little boy in Judea that said, Jesus, here's my lunch. <laughs> do what you will with it. And what did God do? He took that, took those loaves and fishes and he fed 5,000 people with it, right? So it's the small sacrifices in the kingdom that God can take and use in a mighty way. So much more so than we can even really, really comprehend. Um, I was thinking about this in regards to fast forwarding to the end of this week, um, this last week of Jesus' life, to the Last Supper. He tells, um, this is in Mark 14, he tells the goodman of the house, he tells the goodman of the house that very similar circumstance. Apostles, you go into the city 
Mark chapter 14 and verse 13. You go into the city and a man is going to meet you there. Mark chapter 14 and verse 13. Go into the city and a man and you shall meet a man bearing a pitcher of water and then follow him and wheresoever he shall go say to the goodman of the house the master saith where is the guest chamber where I shall eat of the Passover with my disciples and I will, and he will show you again confidence in his obedience he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared and there make ready for us and his disciples went forth and they went into the city and they ended up going to that upper room. Now, a thought that I had not really had until when I was studying this out is it does not appear that this goodman had advance notice that this room was to be prepared for Jesus and the apostles. You want to know who, who it was prepared for? Somebody else. The room was totally prepared. It was fully furnished <clears throat> to partake of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was fully furnished. And don't you know, it was probably a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation when the goodman of the house told those people that he had probably, a goodman of the house, I mean, he's pretty much uh, the supervisor of the house. I mean, uh, he's the one who is managing all of the arrangements for this. And people had probably even paid him to do this. this. This wasn't just an owner of the house. This is a hired servant that your responsibility is to prepare the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover for us. And don't you know it was a very uncomfortable conversation when they had paid him, probably, to prepare a room for them, for them to partake of the upper room. And then, on a whim, in just a couple hours, he now gives that room to Jesus and the apostles. Now, there were probably some people in Jerusalem that were very unhappy about that. <laughs> the people who were supposed to have the room. Why, did, why was the goodman willing to deal with, no doubt, um, some conflict with the person that he had originally prepared the room for? Why was he willing to do that? Did you notice that little phrase there in verse 14? The master saith. The master saith. So again, I want you to think about, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the goodman, right? The apostles, they found a guy uh, that's carrying a pitcher. Okay, you follow that guy. It's funny how they don't even really know what they're doing and where they're going, right? They, they, you find a guy, you just follow him, and, and then you talk to the guy wherever he goes to, okay? So then, <laughs> then you show up, <laughs> the guy who's carrying the pitcher, and he's talking to the goodman. I don't know who these guys are, but they've been following me for like two or three miles, and they won't even really tell me what's going on, but they've been following me, so you want to be a little careful, you know, I don't know what's going on. And then they come up and they say, um, yeah, we need that room. We need that upper room. I know you've probably prepared it for someone else. I know it's fully furnished for someone else, but we need that room. Again, obedience is not a negotiation. Uh, it appears that they simply said, the master saith, and he essentially said, Yes, sirs. It's yours. It's yours. Now, that's a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful picture of how God's providence works. Providence, provide, it literally means to provide beforehand. That goodman had been making all the preparations for the upper room for somebody else. 
for weeks, for days leading up to that. But then when the Lord had need of it, the Lord in his providence allows Jesus and the apostles to do that. But I believe the faith of this Goodman could be commended the same as the owners of the donkey, right? It's because at a stranger showing up saying the master hath need of this upper room and he says, okay, all right, you can take the upper room. And it was fully furnished and fully prepared when you show. And that's what's really fun about seeing God's providence in action is because when, when God's providence is moving and you arrive in the right place at the right time in the right situation with the right people around you, you're going to realize that that table's been being prepared a long time in advance. You're not going to show up with just uh, leftovers. We'll put, it, we'll put it like that, right? <laughs> you're not going to show up with, with uh, a diminished amount of blessings. You're not going to show up with leftovers. No, you're going to show up with an upper room, and you're going to realize, wow, God's been preparing this table for a long time, and he's been guiding in his providence to direct me to this room at the right place at the right time. Now, <clears throat> by way of closing, uh, we need to be prepared for what we have. Certainly our material possessions, um, whatever we have available, whether it be a donkey or a vehicle or a, an upper room, whatever, whatever the, the form takes, um, whatever God calls us to do, we should be willing to give that up um, in faith when the Lord calls us to do that. But most of the time, guys are not always calling and, uh, and requesting your stuff. The majority of the time, he's simply calling you. Now, think about it the same way. All of the disciples that God called them and they dropped everything and followed Jesus. Think about Peter. They were there mending their nets with them, and then they were business partners with James and John, Peter and Andrew, who were business partners with the sons of Zebedee. And Jesus called them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately dropped their nets, and they followed Jesus. Matthew did the same thing, Levi. That was the publican at the receipt of custom. Jesus called him, follow me. What did he do? He dropped it. He dropped everything. Now, Nicodemus, it took him a little bit longer in stages, if you will, for him to really sell out for the kingdom. Uh, he came to Jesus by night, first of all, and then about midway through the Gospels, he's kind of like passively standing up for Jesus, but he's, but he's still a little bit nervous. But by the time that, that Jesus died, he was willing to fully sell out for the kingdom and, and leave the Sanhedrin to, to follow Jesus. But... It's the simple little sacrifices that we may not even view as that important in the kingdom. Those are the things that God takes and blesses and exponentially magnifies to bless his people here in time. Okay? Now, again, I'll leave you with the thought. Uh, for you to meditate on as we dismiss this evening. What are you willing to give up for the kingdom? Now, I'm not asking anyone to, you know, I, I think a, a good, reliable vehicle is a 
pretty good um, modern day application of a, of a donkey. I'm not asking anyone tonight to, that's what the prosperity preachers do, <laughs> uh, to, to give up your vehicle for the kingdom. But, but if the time came where you saw a need, the Lord hath need of him, we should be willing to give what we have in service to God and let him use it as he sees fit. You know, again, they weren't signing up to only give up their, their donkey for one day. There was no timetable on that. They gave it up, but don't ever forget what they got back was so much better than what they had before. And that's how it always is in service in the kingdom. You give up something... And what you get in return is always so much better. Now, when I say so much better, we have to put qualifications on that, too. Because that doesn't always mean that the circumstances of our life are always going to be easier, more convenient. No, God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. And the blessings that we will receive in return, I will, I will say this, though. If you... Bless, honor the Lord with material substance, the Lord will typically bless you with material substance. Now that doesn't mean you're always going to get a 100% return. But if you're faithful with what you have, God will bless you to have everything you need. But never forget that most of those blessings are spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings. And I hope that we can be ready willful participants in God's will, but it's also a special thing to think about that we can be the participants of God's providence. Now think about that on the other side. These people were willing to give up their donkey for a fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. But what if you found out later that there was this widow that needed medical attention that didn't have the ability to get there, but now the Lord hath need of him, you give them your donkey, and now they're able to do that. What an amazing thing for you to then take a step back and say, God used me as an agent of his providence to provide for the need of that widow. You see? And that's how God can use us. <laughs> you see? That's how God can use us, but he's not going to be as readily using us if every time he calls us to do something, we complain and we try to back out of it and we try to come up with alternative scenarios. <laughs> no, the Lord hath need of him, right? And we should be willing to let that go to give it up for the kingdom. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.